0: Hello and welcome back to Oriate, the show that's exploring the meaning of ordinary everyday work from a Christian perspective. My name's Stuart Weir, I'm the host of the show and I'm absolutely delighted to have another friend with me today, Ian Futter. Ian, brilliant to have you with us today. Uh,
1: Thanks Stuart, yeah no it's great, Um, thank you so much for inviting me and I feel um honored, privilege to be here, especially given your previous two guests who were very erudite and, and uh, together. So hopefully, uh, hopefully it won't be disappointing today.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. There's uh, you are right up there in my opinion with us. So don't need to worry about that. That's for sure. So, um, let's just get straight into it. I'm never very good at kind of chit chatting. So, uh, tell us, um, who you are and where you do your work what kind of work you actually do in the world
1: yes yeah, so um i'm a vet um and as i i love the way we we describe what we do by saying who we are it's like so i'm not defined by being a vet but i know that that's often true so often the first thing people ask isn't it what do you do i'm a vet and then of course there's you can predict all the questions that follow from that it's really fascinating because most people um you you talk to a lot of people and say when i was a we we person I wanted to be a vet um and then they talk about um you know how hard it is to get in and how wonderful it must be but then all the difficult sides of it as well. Um but I work I work for charity so I work for the Scottish SBCA which is a, a big animal welfare charity in Scotland. Um Um, distinct from the RSPCA, so I don't cover England and Wales at all, but I I run the veterinary department for for the Scottish SPCA, which is a great, fantastic thing to do. Um, I started off um, literally just being myself and another vet, um, doing a bit of neutering for them and it's it's just grown since then. So we've got a a large, largest department now. So it's it's burgeoned um, beyond what I imagine the job would be. Um, I do a lot more people management now. However, still get to be a vet um, uh, and it, it's just really exciting because being a vet is is obviously something I decided I wanted to do when I was a teenager and I got to become a vet and I get to do what I want to do on a daily basis really. I mean I've got a lot of freedom which I think is what is really attractive um, about it. Um, I get to work with animals which is great. Um, It's a real privilege to have a job where you can work with animals and and actually earn a decent living, Um, because most animal welfare jobs, they're they're not particularly well paid, Mm. unfortunately. Um, But, um, you know, I'm in a privileged position, so I, I remind, you know, we're all like this, don't we? We have to remind ourselves how lucky we are to be doing what we do. But I genuinely am lucky to be able to do what I set out to do um it wasn't plain sailing you know i had to work really hard uh, at school to get where, where i where i am but um i've really enjoyed it it's a great it's a great roller coaster sometimes but it's great
0: yeah that's amazing so um i didn't actually realize that you still did some hands-on veterinary work so uh, that's great do you tell us a bit about that did um do you like the balance that you've got right now, sort of management versus hands-on with animals? Could it be slightly different? Uh, yeah, tell us, tell us a little bit about that balance. Yeah, well,
1: the, the pandemic the pandemic has has upset things a bit. So I've done a lot less clinical work, say, in the last year than I would normally do. Um, I've been I've been moving away from it gradually, gently, anyway, because I've, I've gone in, more into the leadership side of things. Um, but still get to, to do some clinical work, um, some surgery, um, but also encourage in helping other people to do that job, really, which is largely what well, I'm still asked a lot of, of advice on clinical cases, getting involved in decision making about more complicated stuff. Um, I need to stay sharp on that. Um, if I'm going to be encouraging other people to do that job well, then I need to know that I can continue mm. to do that job well. However, it's, it's always appropriate, I think, for people of my age to realize that there are younger people coming in now who can do that better than me. They're more recently out of college, um, they're younger, um, and I want to encourage them to do that. So there's a certain amount of what I do now is, is succession planning as well to so try and encourage other people to, to develop so that they, they can ultimately do my job as well. Um, I think that's really important for people in my position to think about, um, and certainly encouraged in an organisation like mine. You know, they couldn't afford, for example, if if I if I had to um, be off sick, say for a long period of time, I I need to know that that things will function functions without me. But yeah, the clinical side, it's it's I I miss not having as much to do. I miss the surgery. Surgery is exciting. As a vet, you get even from day one, you know green green kind of uh, new vet graduate, you get to do loads of different surgeries, and it's really exciting um, and make a real difference to to animals. Um, I think you know it's it's ending animal suffering, improving the lives of animals, improving the lives of the people that own the animals. Because that's really what vets do. Unless you're unless you're dealing with wildlife, say, or in a zoo, um, then most of the animals we treat obviously belong to people, um, and it's that aspect of it which is probably really the most important. Um, so it's, it's 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 enhancing that bond between the animals and their owners and vice versa, because it's a it's a two way relationship. And as a vet, it's that. There's there's almost then a three way bond of trust. Um, The animal has to trust you, but also the owner has to trust you Mm. um, as a vet. So I obviously spent a bit of time in private practice before I did the job that I'm doing now, and that's really where you know, well, you kind of work all these things out, and you kind of work out um, what kind of vet are you going to be? You know, how are how are you going to be the kind of vet that people will trust? And I think that's that's. That's what I enjoy about the clinical work is because you get to make a significant difference, you know. I mean, There's, there's a saying that 70% of the animals you treat would just get better regardless of what you did anyway. <laughs> uh, but the other 30% definitely won't. <laughs> so it's intervening and doing something often quite simple. So often m- most of the cases we deal with just need some very simple approaches often. And it's like working magic in those animals' lives, I suppose. And then the, the the significant difference you make to the people that own those animals, um, it, it's, it's it's great and it gives such a sense of satisfaction. Um, on the other hand, I suppose what you don't miss is when things don't go well. You know, so mm. as, as a vet, you know, I, we we have a hundred percent failure rate with our patients. Really, ultimately, don't we? Ultimately, all our patients die. Um, but. To, to, what, what we have to learn quite quickly as you turn that around is say well that's not failure. If you allow an animal to have a good death then that's a success. Um, so that's part of it is, is working with people to make sure that animals don't suffer beyond what is necessary in order for them to get well. So if an animal isn't going to get well it's encouraging people to think around what's right to do in this situation. How long can we keep going? And actually, they often end up being the most satisfactory um, cases to deal with, the end of life stages, um, helping animals deal with chronic diseases, helping owners understand what difference they can make. Um, it's all very satisfying. Um, and and it's constantly evolving as well. There's, there's, there are new things we're learning all the time, new breakthroughs in veterinary medicine, um, sometimes borrowed from the human field, but often not. Um, and being able to develop new ways, better ways of helping animals all the time, which is really exciting. Um, So it's never boring, uh, put it that way. Um, um, And I suppose a a lot of what I'm doing now is making sure that my staff are able to do that really well. Um, And the cohort of animals we deal with now are not owned directly by people, but are probably going to be owned by people. So what we're trying to do is make sure those animals are as fit and well as they can be before they've got new owners. And that is really satisfying. Um, Sad, often. A lot of animals come to us in in a pretty sorry state. Not not well. Um, A combination of issues. um, And... uh, Sometimes it's a it's it's a bit like unravelling a ball of string, working out, you know, which are the issues here that are significant enough to make a, a significant impact on the future welfare of this animal or not. Um, can we solve those? So rather than having a list of diagnoses with, with you think about what, what problems does this animal have, often behavioural as well. It's not just um, clinical problems, but often behaviour. Um, because often the animal's been neglected. It's not necessarily got, got a good relationship with people either. Um, So there's a whole host of things we've got to try and sort out with each individual animal. But at the same time, bearing in mind that we're not just dealing with individual animals, we're dealing with a whole host of animals all at the same time. And it's almost, um, it's like the small animal equivalent of being a farm vet almost. Um, We've got a herd of dogs or a herd of cats, all of whom could infect one another with various diseases and so a lot of the time we're spending controlling that controlling outbreaks of disease spotting disease coming in trying to mitigate that and and then trying trying to avoid those animals taking those problems into their new homes um because being very mindful of the fact this human animal bond which is established very quickly after an animal goes into a new home um you know get a new puppy you you know, a lot of people uh, over, over the pandemic have 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 taken on new puppies or new kittens, and they realise just how quickly they bond emotionally with that animal. But if that animal isn't well, then that 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 is it's more difficult for that bond to establish because it's 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 confusing. There's a lot of emotional trauma. Um, the, an, the animal isn't well, so it's not. At its best, and therefore doesn't really bond as well with the owner. There's a whole host of things go on there, which means the chances of relinquishing that animal back into a shelter like ours is much higher if the animal isn't well when it leaves. So, hence the importance of what we do. Um, it's, it, it can't be underestimated. The mm-hmm. if we, if even if we have to wait a bit longer to make sure the animal really well before it leaves. Um, that's worth it, in in as much as we're much less likely to then see that animal back again. Um, but if 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 there's been a really good bond formed in the early few weeks of that relationship, then it, the the animal becomes part of the family, and you know it becomes then much less likely that they want to part with the animal, even if there are issues with it, and actually much more likely the animal then then will stay in that home and and see out the rest of its days, however long that might be. Mm. Um, And particularly with older animals, older dogs and cats coming in who do have, are more likely to have some of these problems. um, Getting that right is really important and getting the information across to owners as well, new owners and helping them understand what to expect of the animal. Um, That it's not like a new car where you've got a, you know, a warranty. And a guarantee that if something's wrong, you'll be able to fix it, and it will be perfect again. It doesn't work like that with animals. Some things are permanently wrong, um, and uh, it's 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 um, managing expectations of people a lot of the time as well. Mm. But again, it's all part of the the. It's what makes the job interesting and stimulating, challenging, um, um, but really rewarding when it goes right. Um, but you know, we always remember the ones that don't go well um but the important thing is to to learn from those and establish ways of making sure if something doesn't work well and somebody's unhappy then working out ways is it possible to make make that better in the future or is it is it just there's some things just don't don't go go as as they as you expect them to so i said and surgery is the same you know i've done probably thousands of bitch space for example I would consider myself to be really good at them but uh, every now and then one isn't quite the way it should be and things don't go well and um, I think uh, what what being a skillful surgeon isn't about whether you can pre- perform something perfectly all the time it's is knowing what to do when things go wrong yeah. um, and that's that's um, and that's harder to teach um, and and um, and it's it's, and you can take to, take a real dent in your confidence when things don't go well, um, but it's a really good life lesson as well as a, as a surgeon knowing actually, I can't spend too long dwelling on what's not worked here because I've got other animals that I need to deal with. So if I'm um, emotionally affected by some by something that's happened to an animal that hasn't gone well, I need to be fully functional in, in minutes often. In order to be able to get on and, and help another animal,
0: um, so there's huge challenges by that. Um. <laughs> wow! Very quickly, I just sort of realised how complex your job yeah. is—not not least um, common veterinary uh, variances, but just the fact that you're you're managing staff, you're you're thinking of the future, you're thinking of can I go away on holiday? Have we got the skills in our staff? so that we can have a break from time to time, so that if I ever move on, that we've got the right personnel with the right level of skills. That's that's quite incredible, actually. Uh, so talk to me, we mentioned this briefly just before we came on air. Legacy. Mm. What, you've touched on this already, what are you, hoping to leave behind you very humble beginnings just you and one other vet mm. so what are you hoping to leave behind what sort of scale what sort of standard what sort of vision do you hope to leave behind you someday
1: mm. boy that's a really big question isn't it and there are I, I could answer that in so many different ways um i think anybody listening to this be aware that, that, that what what we do in working in shelters is quite different from what happens in practice, in normal venue practice, um, and I and colleagues in other charities, for example, so another, another aspect of what's exciting about my role is I get to meet really interesting people in other charities in other bits of the UK um, and developing this concept of shelter medicine and teaching teaching that to students and getting them used to the idea there are, there are different approaches, sometimes subtle, but sometimes quite really quite different already mentioned the fact that we often have to deal with dogs and cats like they're a herd of animals rather than individuals um, you know it might well be we can spend a lot of money on one animal and get it well for example but w- at what expense to all the other animals that are in our care because um, there's, a, there's a limited funding you know we're a charity and we're spending money that people give generously to help animals but we can't spend all of it on one or two two animals so that, that that's Quite complex. So I suppose the leg- some of the legacy I would want to leave is having made an impact in that area. So I, I teach a bit on it to students, talk to talk to vet students in Glasgow and Edinburgh about it. Um, uh, also teaching about because um, we we deal with a lot of cases that are really un- unfortunate where animals have suffered and and the owners need need to have uh, need to have their their. Attitudes corrected, should I say, and the the courts end up involved, so I work with inspectors for the charity um, helping understand how the animal suffered, why it suffered, and being willing to give evidence in court, so I do a bit of teaching on that as well. Again, um, we need uh, trying to make a bigger impact there and get more private vets involved because it's really key that vets are willing to give evidence in these cases, and part of my legacy is going to be in encouraging vets to do that and establish more of a more of an understanding within my profession of what's involved in that and more of a willingness to get involved so that's that's an exciting area but it can be a bit frustrating it's quite um but working out how to teach that well and how to how to be encouraging in that area that's part of the legacy i'd like to think i've had a, a, a uh, an impact on students over the years um, encouraging them to think about um, the kind of vets they want to be, um, and I suppose, I suppose. But beyond that, I think, as a, particularly as a Christian, it's, it's, it's an interesting question, isn't it? Because what what is my legacy? My legacy is the impact I have in the world, and I see, um, I see who I am. Not, not, I'm, I'm not just a vet. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Christian living in the world, doing doing work, but also living and doing all the other things that we do. And I would imagine, you know, my impact is more than just what I'm doing professionally. It's who I am being and all the other relationships I've got. So I think it's important that I don't just seem, see my impact in the world as being what I do professionally, but everything else. But I think they're all so interconnected that we can't possibly distinguish between what I do for a living and who I am as a dad or a or a husband, or a church member, or you know, a friends, people. That they, I'm, I'm the same person doing all these things, and I think they all influence each other. So, um, I like to think that I'm constantly being transformed into a better version of me. <laughs> We're all trying to be more Christ-like, but often that's being done to me rather than me consciously doing it to myself. Although. I I think we're often aware of things we can do that would make ourselves better, but often it's situations, crises often, suffering, they all give opportunities for growth that wouldn't happen otherwise. So I guess my biggest legacy is going to be in how did I allow those opportunities to transform me? make a better bigger difference in the world around me and by world I mean the people but also the animals obviously and the planet and just generally and I think I think we underestimate the impact we have in the world on a daily basis and I, I I'm i not I'm not I'm not a theologian so I'm not going to come up with some erudite um, biblical interpretation of this but I very much feel that as a Christian. I'm, I'm an extension, almost as as is everybody else, of what God is doing in the world to improve it, to transform it, to make it a better place for everybody to live in. I think that's genuinely what why we why we're here. Um, I don't I don't think I've had some some you know some epiphany with that. I think it's just been a kind of growing experience of I get to choose each day what impact I'm going to have in the world. I get to choose whether I'm going to be a good influence or a bad influence. And even if I'm grump, grumpy and having a bad day, I can still make a choice to have a positive impact. Um, and I, I think being being senior helps. I think having responsibility for people um, in the workplace has helped me with that. But I, I, think, I think, yeah, I think my legacy is far bigger than what I do clinically as a vet or um, what I help other people to do is it's just the impact of me me being me in the world um, I think that's that's really important
0: <laughs> that's amazing so you do you think that we are further along we're doing a better job in Scottish society at least looking after animals animal welfare in general how we interact with them as humans than say 30 years ago
1: um, I think we have a we have a better understanding of how we should be looking after animals and interacting with them but I would say we're probably getting worse at it a lot of the time um, uh, now obviously I, I see the impact of, of neglect on animals a lot so maybe maybe the way i would answer that question might be a bit more exaggerated than even a lot of vets would see because a lot of vets would generally only see the good side of of animals being looked after so they'll they'll have good clients most of the time people are willing to spend hard earned money on making sure their pets are well and there's a there's a bond of trust there i suppose we see the darker side of it a lot more than than many vets in practice And it's certainly not got any better. Whether it's worse or not, I don't know. I think people have generally become a lot more selfish. Um, I think people are becoming more interested in their own needs. We're becoming, I I think as a society, not necessarily focusing on the need, the general needs and what's good for the society we're living in. We're thinking more about what's good for us a lot of the time. And we see that impact um, in terms of how how easy it is for people to relinquish animals when something starts to go wrong. So you know, if an animal starts to have an illness, um, seems, it seems to be easier nowadays for people to part company with that animal and try and rehome it, or um, find other some abandon it, for example, or just neglect it, just not look after it well. Um, that certainly hasn't got better. Maybe it's because we're better at detecting this. That we seem seem to see more of it, um, but there there is a darker side to human nature which impacts on animals, which is very very difficult to see, um, is a real stimulus for what we do, um, or I do. Um, mm. But I'm sad. I would be sad sad to say that I don't think that's getting any better, and if if if, if it's possibly getting worse. Mm.
0: Yeah. Well, let's. I want to pick up on something else that you mentioned there a minute ago as well about things that happen to you that are external to you, things that you don't get to choose initially that are thrust upon you. Um, How has your work changed you as a person in that regard insofar as they could be, could you give a couple of examples, perhaps, maybe of something negative happening to you, which is either, which has perhaps forced you to consider, I will never go about doing things in that way myself, having been the recipient of such behavior, or perhaps having been the beneficiary of a great example of something going well because of teamwork or an interaction with an animal that you go, I would really love to see us repeat that kind of outcome if possible or at least strive towards it or having seen somebody else um, interact in the workplace in such a way I want to take that on board and build that into to my life and in that way it's made an impact upon you. Are there maybe just even one example you can give about how something external to you has made a permanent mark on you yeah, challenging question. Um,
1: uh, obviously so many of the things that happen have an impact, big or small. Um, I think I I, I, I think it's that the people I work with probably have more of an impact on me than than the animals I work with. And I think it's that there's a, there's obviously there's a two-way relationship and I think because I'm responsible for the welfare of the people in the department the vets and nurses that work for us they don't it's it's that there are often complex relationships um but I th- I think um maybe I just think think about um we when when something tragic happens within 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 the lives of some of the people that work for me, um, I realise there's there's a pastoral there's a pastoral element to what I do, mm. which is not what you expect. You know, you don't get trained to do this stuff, and they they can be really quite hard. And I'm not going to go into details because the trouble is, if I start going into too many details, somebody out there will know what I'm talking about, so I can't really do that. But. So some some huge trauma goes on within the team, and the team is scarred as a result of it. And um, there's then the need for me to um, step up and, and um, really take charge of the the emotional and spiritual impact that has on the rest of the team. And I suppose that the challenge for me is have because you can only you can only you can only respond well in those kind of situations if the, if you've already done the groundwork. And I think you can very quickly see where where all the weaknesses are when something like that happens. You know, have I been doing a job that's that's allowed everybody to, yeah, even even if something is really upsetting, they they can they can deal with this and they can move on. And in, in some ways it, you know. There's an opportunity for things like that to ultimately be a strengthening experience for some teams, but that doesn't mean the whole team would universally respond in the same way. And it's it's, it's being aware of what the outliers are, and are there some some people within the team that need more more support than others? It's I I I have always found that I found that quite challenging. Um, because I, I will have my own particular way of responding to these situations. And um, I will recognize there's, a, there's an emotional, but I'm also quite good at putting things in boxes and saying, right, this has happened, but we need to move on. But other people move at different paces. And I think that th- these things have changed me hugely to the point that if, if it's possible to say, they've allowed me to be much more myself than I would have been previously. Because I I I am I I by nature a much more I'm much less a head person and much more a heart person so I naturally gravitate towards the the emotions in a situation anyway and so being an emo, an emotional um, uh, support um, I, I suppose is a good 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 way of saying it. Um, Going through those experiences definitely changed me. and made it much easier for me to be that person just generally. So I've noticed, I think, the language I use in group settings now is very different from what I would have done before. So I'm much more likely to be aware of how people are going to be feeling and trying to engineer a conversation to make sure that those feelings are taken into consideration rather than just looking at the bare facts, right? you know, this is the problem. This is what we need to do. You're going to do this, that, and the other. We'll spend some time thinking about, right, how do, we f- how do we feel about this? I know this sounds, you know, it's quite tree-huggy, but I think it's becoming increasingly important now, particularly with the generations of young people coming into the workplace who are expecting us to be taking these things into consideration. And I think I'm much better prepared now to do that than I was ever before because of the situations that I've experienced in the workplace and that and then i can't ignore the impact say if an animal dies under an aesthetic for example the impact that has on the team and um this the same kind of things come into play but very much trying to encourage people to say um how learning from learning from that experience and being helping the team grow from, from that experience is, is also really significant. And I think, I've, I think um, the, the first few times that happens, you end up surprised at your, or I've ended up surprised at my ability to do those kind of things. And I'm sure I don't do it perfectly. I don't do it well. And I always analyze it and think I could have done that better. I could have said this instead of that. And, um, but at the end of the day, um, I think having a willingness to be a conduit for those kind of things to happen is the, is, is a good start. And it's probably what makes it successful in the end. Because if, I, if I'm if i not willing to get in touch with how I feel about these things, then I'm not going to be able to help other people to be in touch with how mm. they're feeling about it. Mm. Um, it doesn't matter what the facts are. You know, feelings are more real to people generally than the facts. And being willing to identify that and respond to that, I think, has been significant for me.
0: Mm. No thank you for that, that's really quite profound just kind of working through how you manage a human team and uh, moving forward or taking a pause and, and leading a group and being attentive to a group, thank you for that. So thinking, not that we've not touched theologically on your work so far but just a little bit more overtly so, just reflecting as you were, um, as I knew you were going to be coming on this podcast about theological statements about humans and animals together, and there's that incredible picture in Isaiah chapter eleven, verse eight, of a child putting his hand in a completely safe environment, not naive, not in a, perhaps in a naive way, but putting his hand over the asp's nest. And it turns out that the asp doesn't bite now. This is a picture of uh, the world as it will in one time be. uh, That There is harmony between even those animals we have fear of. And um, I just wondered if that picture that that hope, that bliss, that harmony, if you have any thoughts about that as it impinges upon the daily work you do.
1: Yes, Stuart. So
0: obviously I've, I've, looked at, I've
1: re-looked at the passage. Um, it's a familiar passage, isn't it? Um, and I recognize it's full of symbolism. It's full of symbolic language. My gut response to a passage like that is that's unrealistically positive. Because <laughs> I, 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 then my, my science head comes in and I think, how can it, if an asp doesn't bite, then it's not an asp. But beyond all that, uh, I think, I think the real answer is because we don't really know what the new heaven and the new earth is going to be like. We, we take it that there will be, and God mm. is restoring things, and we don't know whether things are just going to suddenly end and there'll be a new heaven and new earth, or whether we're in the process of, of being restored into a new heaven and new earth. I I, th- I think how I answer that, it, it does, doesn't have to matter whether either of those is the case, just knowing. And I think I think of us like I think we the, the three of us are in three three kingdoms aren't we we're all part of the united kingdom when we're, we're part of god's kingdom because by being christians we recognize that christ is the head of and and he is our king so wherever i am is god's kingdom uh, just and i know that i know that is true in a sense for all christians now and it's going to mature in the future because God's kingdom will be everywhere. Everybody will identify Jesus as, as king. But we're also part of the animal kingdom. And I, I think Christians, but I think it's so easy to bypass or dismiss it. But I know that biologically, I am so similar to my patients. There are more similarities between me and a dog than mo- most people give, give any credence to. And I know that. I, I can only exist because God has God has given me all all these these the components of my body to allow me to to, to live and survive we breathe the same air we're, we're, we, we function our physiology is so similar um, so our, our relationship with animals is so significant and I think it's something that's happened because of modern technology and everything we've moved so far away from this and I suppose, the, the people re- reading, reading, or uh, re- in Isaiah's day would have had a really different understanding of what this would mean because they were so in touch with with nature. They were so, you know, being bitten by an asp was a was a was a was a daily risk, probably. You know, you, you could you could you could uh, you know nowadays you know we could we could um, be bitten by an animal. An infection from that bite could kill us within a few days. Nowadays, that doesn't really happen so much. We're so, we're so immunised to the effects of living in nature that we get really upset when it doesn't work, work well. So that, 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 that relationship has always been a difficult one, I think. I think we're in tension, aren't we? Because we, we see ourselves as distinct from the animal kingdom and yet we are part of it. And there the real, really is a tension there. And I don't think I've got a good answer to say what I think about that. All I know is that it's it's confusing. God knows what He's doing, and I can only assume that that confusion, that tension, is 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 deliberate, because we're we're straining against our humanity all the time, straining against the limitations of it, because we want to be so much more. And of course, we are destined to be so much more. And I think it's good to have these aspirations to be so much more. Um, and I, I think um, all I know is that that that, that desire creates positive, a positive energy energy in us to want to create the world to be a better place. And I think that's the, the positive aspect of this. And looking, reading passages like that give us real hope for the fact that. God is in charge, knows what he's doing, and we are part of that process. Um, so he, his real intention for us is to is to in, in improve the world in the way that we see it now and be a positive force for good, partnering with him, um, but being reminded of the fact that he is in charge and ultimately things will be a lot better, even though I can't imagine possibly how that could happen. And I would say that... the i always come back to the, the one thing i really i think the the, the the thing i most struggle with actually as a christian when i look at the world i'm i'm content to know hu- human suffering we you know we 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 live in a world suffering is part of being being alive we contend with it on a daily basis and one of one of the 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 reasons I think suffering is allowed is because it does transform us. It, it allows us. It, it brings humility. It shows us that we're frail. That you know, whilst our soul is eternal, our bodies are not, and how we use them, how we live, is really important. And I think it, it creates a, a trust in God. that We know that He's ultimately in control, and not, I'm not. I'm not superhuman. I'm not beyond nature, and I think that's really good for us. But then I see the world and there is so much animal suffering. And I think, how is that? How is that fair? You know, how, how surely God could have designed a system whereby the animals didn't need to suffer in the way they do. You know, there are billions of animals out there that suffer quite horrendous deaths a lot of the time. We don't know about them and we're not involved in all of them. We, didn't, we don't cause all of those deaths. We don't cause all that suffering. Maybe we could say we did because of the fall. I'm not sure I understand the the, the theology of that enough to say that I agree that that you know sure, surely it must have been possible for 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 that to be different I think that's that's my I think that's the thing that I hold in tension with in my conversation with God is like why why is it like this and maybe that's what drives me to want to do my job well and probably ought to be what drives all Christians do good in the world, try and improve that, and there are so many good people in the world. You know, so many people who love nature, love animals. I only have a job because there are people that give their money because they believe that animals are are important and they 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 care about whether animals suffer or not. So hu- human beings by nature want to restore the world, and I think as Christians we're in this unique position of understanding why you know why it's important. And so I suppose I suppose the passage gives me hope. Um, I don't fully understand it, um, and I know that by trying to understand it, I'm as long as it's as long as it drawing me closer into God in that in in terms of that that lack of understanding that um, that frustration that tension actually should drive me deeper into into my relationship with God, which it does. As long as that's happening, then it it has a positive impact on me. If it turned me cynical and drove me away from God, um, then that um, that desolation could be a a a a damaging thing. But I think I think I'm consoled um, by knowing that actually God's intentions are good here. So even though I don't understand it, and even though I think I would do this better. I, I think I am given hope by the fact that actually in the future we will be living in harmony with nature and particularly maybe we will we'll have come to terms with our humanity or our animalness,
0: maybe. Yeah, thank you for that, I really appreciated your comments there as well on how integrated we all are, are as creatures, as animals uh, that God has brought into being. and not as so often we look our dissimilarity with our fellow animals rather than our similarity and so i thought thought that was really insightful so because just building a little bit on what you've just said in many ways the scottish spca exists because of mistreatment of the animal world and you are in meaningful work as a result of something negative to try and be restorers be healers to find solutions thinking as opposed to the the little child who has their hand over the asps nest and all the bliss of that symbol of that vision on this side of the new heavens and the new earth where things where we currently are What would be your hope for what is possible? Realistic hope for what is possible in human-animal relations. I would say, honestly, if we really
1: collectively, globally put our minds to it, we could make a massive difference. the technology and the, the knowledge that we have now about animal suffering, how animals suffer, the effect of how we look after animals, what what the effect is on the world generally, you know, farming methods, for example. Um, uh, the fact that we know that animals experience um, pain and suffering in the way that we do physiologically, We you know, there's so much proof, there's so much scientific evidence that Animals perceive pain, particularly the higher animals. Um, there is so much difference we could all make if we, if we grew up, took responsibility, um, worked out what we can do, collectively decided that politics aside, we were all going to agree on how we were going. To, we will improve the world uh, and pre- improve the experience of animals, and thereby the experience of humans and I think that those things are so much more interrelated than i think most of us think because if we've got you know we 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 i suppose we're milking the earth to death in a sense aren't we we're, we're extracting everything we need from it whilst not really putting enough in to keep it keep it going in a healthy way um, and the, the the methods that we have for producing enough meat or milk or in the in the world to feed everybody that there is, is limited and it's we're going to exhaust our ability to do that so we have to start learning how to farm responsibly um, at the same time as being aware of the welfare of the animals and uh, those those two things are really interrelated so I know this all sounds very environmental um, but I think as Christians should all you know be environmental activists because the, 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 the Bible shows shows us, gives us a real vision of what can go wrong, um, but a real sense of what what can go right as well if we if we put our minds to it, you know and we'll only live in harmony with the world if we choose to want to do it. So as Christians, we should be at the forefront of deciding this is important, this is more important than anything else that we do. yes. I know, how encouraging our friends and family and colleagues and everybody to, to to find 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 a relationship with with Jesus, absolutely key. But that doesn't mean that's at the expense of investing in the world and making it a better place for everybody to live. And I don't honestly think that becoming environmental activists would be one of the the. Huge, just evangelistic outreaches that we we could think of. I think showing that we care about the planet as Christians would say, actually, you know what? These guys know what they're talking about. I think it'd be, it's so it would be so attractive to the world to know that we we cared about the world in the way that God cares about the world. Because um, you'd look at, look at the way we treat we we approach this at the moment, you think, well, God doesn't really care very much about what happens to the world at the moment. And I think we, we both know that's not true. That couldn't be further from the truth. God really cares about how we look after this planet. And yet we go on just like everybody else. Um, and um, it's, it's, I suppose I'm in that sense, I'm often ashamed um, of being a Christian when I come into contact with other people who seem to care a lot more about these things than
0: I do, or certainly I know that the church does. Ian, our time is fast running out. I have loved how you have unpacked not only what you do, the depth and complexity required in the sorts of decisions you're needing to make on a daily, weekly basis, but just your understanding of the equilibrium of God's creation, the fact that you have a strong conviction that this is God's good creation, but also how much, I loved how much you believe in human agency and how uh, an intentional, deliberate effort to uh, work on this world because of faith in Jesus can make a real difference. And it's just been brilliant to hear your insights as a vet, as a people manager within a veterinary setting, even in a university setting too, as you invest in in younger vets coming through. Thank you so much for all your insights and for joining us here. It's been an absolute pleasure.
1: Um, just as much pleasure, pleasure for me. It's, it's great to get an opportunity to talk about these things and it was great. Even just the preparation for this was great for me because it allows me to collect my thoughts and think, um, know how would I answer those questions they're quite challenging some of those questions but I appreciate being asked them
0: well you are well up to the task so thanks so much again everyone for listening in to Oriate. tune in next time for our next guest thanks so much